Grady uh, Pickett messaged me just a couple days ago. And you know, if you've been around here a while, we're not afraid to call an audible on a play. Um, if you remember last year, we were trying to help some refugees that had made their way from Syria and into uh, northern Iraq. Uh, it was Grady and his family that were the faucet for our conduit. Uh, we were able to provide heat for many, many families who were in a cold, brutal winter and living in tents. And uh, when Grady said, hey, I'm going to be, I'm just looking at a map and just happen to be going through Nashville, the answer is yes. Yes, we would love to have you here. So I'm just literally going to turn this over to Grady and Becky. And if you guys want to just do whatever the Lord leads you to do and, and, and let us know how we can be a part of it. Thank you, Thank you Pastor. Darren, and good morning, everybody. And Grady Pickett and my beautiful wife, Becky, if you stand up, please, just wave. Amen. Thanks. We do. We, we, we live and work in North Iraq, Kurdistan. We've been there for seven years. We, before that, we were studying uh, Arabic in Amman, Jordan. Uh, for two and a half years, we started our family there. And before that, we were single missionaries, doing different projects all over the world, from Africa to Thailand and everywhere else. And we've been in about 50 countries doing different projects for the Lord and traveling. But uh, I'll teach you a couple of words in Arabic. First, in Arabic, we say, Sabah al-Khair. Everyone say, Sabah al-Khair. That means good morning. Good morning. In Kurdish, you have to know Kurdish too where we live. The Kurds say, Bayani Bashi. Good. Now, the best word is this one. I didn't teach the last people this. But if you're a man, say, Habibti. Look at your woman next to you, say, Habibti. That means my love, my beloved. If you're a woman, say, Habibi. Every Arabic song in the Middle East, that's all they say, Habibi. That's it. That's it. Am I right? That's all they say. Or Habibti. That's the love song. So, there you go. If you meet somebody from Kurdistan, just say, Bayani Bashi. Good morning. You'll make a friend that way. Amen. Just to share with you who we are, um, I'm originally from Colorado. She's from Michigan. And I was in the Marine Corps as a young man right out of high school. The Marine Corps taught me. I was with Special Forces for a while, and they taught us how to, how to shoot really well, very accurately. Uh, on this hostage rescue team that I was on with Force Recon, they taught us. And we spent pallets and pallets of ammunition in, in this tire house and how to shoot like a trick shooter on TV. You come into a room with your team, and within a split second, without even aiming, because you've done it thousands of times, you don't even need the sights anymore. It's all muscle memory. You put that bullet any place in the room the size of a quarter. And once you're on the dime, that means training is over, you're now active, you're not allowed to miss. If you miss, even in, in practice, in the tire house, you're kicked off the team because you're a liability. You're not good enough. You, you know, if you're coming into a room, you can't be shooting bullets through the sheetrock and kill your teammate or the hostage, mission failure. I didn't know it, but those skills were going to come in handy later on in, in our life and work in, in Kurdistan. So after the Marine Corps, God called me to missions. I left, went to Bible school. After Bible school, I felt like God said, do three things. Number one, a big backpacking trip around the world. Number two, start learning Arabic. And number three, 
go to Iraq. So I sold everything I had, and I took off with my backpack, took seven months, went to 28 countries on that trip, and towards the end of my journey, and I was evangelizing as I went, living in youth hostels, I was tired, and I was so lonely. I think God was breaking me of my singleness once and for all. He's like, take your running shoes off. And I was like, yes, sir, I am ready to get married. And I was in Cairo, Egypt, in this little dark, dingy internet cafe underneath the stairs, and I got this email from this real pretty girl, and I knew from that first email, she'd heard about me and said, emailed me. I said, that's probably my wife. You know, as a, as a single person, you should speak words of faith over yourself. <laughs> Say, the right one's worth waiting for, and I'll know him or her when I see him. Okay? Get your words working for you. Amen? And I did that, and I knew her when I saw her. So three months, I felt like, Lord, what do I do now? Do I? I felt like the Lord said, come home for Christmas and meet Becky, and I did that. Drove out to Tulsa, met her, and uh, got married three months later, and we went back to the mission field together one year later to Amman, Jordan, studied Arabic, and started our family there. So four of our six children were born overseas in Iraq and in Jordan, and the last two um, were born at home in Michigan. So with a midwife. Hallelujah. So that's us. That's our story. What's your story? I'm going to show you some pictures in a minute of our life and work over the past two years in North Iraq, Kurdistan, and then I'm going to open it up for questions. So if you have any questions, make a mental note, and, and we'll give the floor to you guys. Um, if we get the, 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 the pictures up here, we'll start that in a second. Also, if you brought your Bibles today, put your, try to find Nahum, the, the minor prophet of Nahum. Because Nahum is this weird guy who might be speaking to us today. Two years ago, these guys were attacking our city. They were on the rampage, and they took all, half of Iraq. The war started about six years ago, and it's been apocalyptic with the refugees and just the destruction of the cities. Uh, the Samaritan's first gift boxes, we've given hundreds of those away. This pastor is an Orthodox, and he lost 3,000 books to ISIS, ancient history books. He's the refugees too. This is a refugee camp of Syrian Kurds, and we really love these people. I feel I'm welcome in these villages, and they welcome me. These are blankets. We've given hundreds of these blankets away through the wintertime. And in the refugee camps, after a while, it kind of gets back to normal. They have been through some trauma. Usually the tents start coming down and they start building little cement structures, little tiny houses. And if they never return home, the, the refugee camp becomes a city, a new city, a new village. These are some of the Syrian Kurds in our refugee camp. That's my daughter Ellie there. They go with me. We do distributions there. We started a bread project there. We baked 700 loaves a day, about 21,000 per month. In total, about 320,000 loaves of bread till today. I felt like God said, if you'll put, Grady, if you'll put the first $2,000 down, get yourself 23,000, 21,000 loaves of bread going, go tell your friends what you're doing and they'll help you. And I did that. In about three months, we had the whole year plus some funded. 
everyone wanted to help, and they did. So even the children get involved, and they take the bread to the people that need it. And this is just a little refugee camp of 3,700 people. And there's millions of refugees. Millions. This was a surprise. All these medical supplies landed on my doorstep, and I gave them to the new Christian army. See all those buses? There's 600 men in there going to military training. Christian refugees recruited 16 to 60 years old. And I came to them. I said, hey, I have some skills you might need, and I have some veteran friends that would like to help out also. So we showed up, and they greeted us with that military parade. You can see Turkey in the background there. We were so close to Syria, our cell phones said, welcome to Syria. And we trained them. Rifle safety, marksmanship, combat first aid, house-to-house combat. That's the prime minister or the president of Kurdistan. We had to buy our own ammunition. I'm, so we took up an offering from our friends, and I went to town and did this arms deal in this dark... Shady parking garage on the border of Turkey. And like you had to wait for the phone call. Okay, he's on the other side. Let's drive over there. Gives me a big bag of ammunition. He's like, is there anything else you want? I'm like, what do you have? He's like, oh, I've got rockets, hand grenades, whatever you want. I got it. I can get it. All right, mental note for next time. So there's Syria. There's the river. You could say I'm the other machine gun preacher. <laughs> And this is the old Jewish quarter. There was thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jews lived in Iraq ever since Nebuchadnezzar took them out of Israel, took them to Iraq, and they lived there until about 1948. And then Iraq kicked them all out. They had to go back to Israel. And when they left, they couldn't take anything with them, so they, had to, they buried their gold in all the mountains. We were on TV. Because we did this, I got put on an FBI watch list. So whenever I go to Iraq, there's an FBI agent waiting at the gates. And when we get back from Iraq, there's an agent saying, come tell me what you're doing. So they're usually cool. They just don't want jihadis going over there to help ISIS. So we had, then they graduated. Generals, parliamentarians, mayors were all there. We wanted to do a second training, and the American military stopped it and said no. So, nice machine gun in the back of the truck. Um, these backpacks, we had 500 of these sewn up so the Christian kids could go back to school with a backpack, put the Bibles in there. And then we found this church. They ran out of money, and we blessed them. We sold our car. My wife said, we need to give that money to... Um, the pastor. So we did. We bought their pews, sound system, the pulpit, and that giant 400 kilovolt transformer. And the whole place exploded with life. There's a soccer pitch there, a house for the pastors and priests, and there's a university over here now. The whole place has just came alive. 3,000 people get to worship God there now every week in their own language. Amen. Because people like you helped us out. You know, the faucet was connected to the conduit. Amen. This is a new refugee camp for the Christians. There's 1,200 units. We see a lot of this now with the refugees begging in the streets. 
Pastor Koriakos, he loves us. He's an Orthodox guy. And this is their monastery, Marmetta, St. Matthew, overlooking ISIS-controlled territory. You know, when Thomas left, Thomas went through Kurdistan. If we could pause it for a minute. That's where we live. But Thomas took the gospel through Iraq, planting churches all the way to India, where there's still Christians. And this is where we live in the mountains of Kurdistan. We can press, we can press play. In the wintertime, it's very muddy and rainy and cold. It does snow there. Sammy and Benji. We heat with kerosene. And we did a big kerosene distribution last winter. We got all those barrels, bought the barrels and the big tanker truck of kerosene for 90 Christian refugees living in our neighborhood. Kids love us. And I go into these camps, into their little shelters, and I pray for the sick. And often just, and these are Muslims, but the power of God is there. And often they get healed or they get touched by the power of God. It's amazing. Hey, this is the refugee camp um, in the center of Ancala where Glenn Beck is paying to have all these people flown to the Czech Republic and Slovakia. So this is it. Uh, we started a church in February, and this is just a stone's throw away from our church. Almost where Jesus is. That's what our electric system looks like. It's a mess. The Japanese people built this kindergarten, and we helped to furnish it. We paid the teachers through the summer. It's snowing there. And we also brought in a kitchen and stocked it with food. And every month, even today, the kids are eating. Six days a week, they get a hot meal. If you could pause it right here for a minute. The guy holding the picture is an Iranian pastor. And he said, when he visited us, he stayed in our guest house. He said, before the Islamic Revolution in 1979, his church sold, or his little bookstore, sold five Bibles a year. That's pitiful. He said, after the Islamic Revolution... They, or first let me say this, God told him, start stocking up and start translating Christian books. He was like, God, you're crazy. Nobody wants this stuff. So the Islamic Revolution happens, and he says, after that, they distributed four or five million Bibles over the next four years. People saw the true face of Islam, how brutal and wicked and just violent it was, and they didn't want it. And a revival spread all across Iran. Amen. Yes. Amen. The other guy in the blue shirt is a Kurdish pastor. Sweet, sweet man. And when he was a little boy, a little Kurdish Muslim in the village, his, his father died. So the elder of the village came to his home with all of his henchmen. He said, I am going to marry your 15-year-old daughter. And that little girl gave him some choice words. And without cussing, she was like, I will never marry you. And that old man got angry and said, then you will die. 
So when he was five, year, five or six years old, these guys came into his home and killed his mom and his sister in bed with him sleeping between them. So he grows up. Somewhere he finds the Gospel of Luke and reads it. It is touched by God. He's like, wow, I love this. The war happens. He's a soldier. And during that time, he finds a New Testament and reads the New Testament. He's like, wow, Luke is in here. And he gives his heart to Jesus. And then later on, he meets Christians, and he becomes a pastor. But he met the man who killed his, his mom and his sister one day in the market, and he gave that man a New Testament, a Gospel of Luke. He says, sir, you need to read this. It changed my life. And the man read it. He came back, or they, they met each other again in the market, and the guy mocked it. He's like, this is a stupid book. Who ever heard of anyone moving mountains with their words? He says, well, sir, it is true. God moved the mountain of hate in my heart for you and threw it out. And he said the man turned white and his jaw dropped and he never saw him since. So, but that's one of our pastors, our dear Kurdish pastors there. So you can, you can press play now. And those are some of our, our uh, teachers and uh, people from America who have come to help us. The camp is called Basirma. I feel like God said, just focus on this one. I'm one guy, I can't do it all in all the camps. But this is our camp. This was an appreciation day for me. All the kids are like, we love you, Mr. Grady. That's really sweet. It's an ancient Iraqi or Assyrian tell, thousands of years old. Would have had a little fort on it thousands of years ago. A lot of sheep and goats. Middle East. We get to do a lot of little projects too, like buying a hot water heater for that refugee, uh, MP3 players in their language for Pastor Koryakos, and this guy has a Michigan sweatshirt. And this is General Baynam. <laughs> another, pause it here please. General Baynam started another militia, and we've been helping him out a little bit. And on General Behnam's base, this is the Nineveh Plain. This is where it starts. You've all heard of Nineveh, right? If you've heard of Jonah, Jonah had to go to Nineveh and tell those wicked people, the ISIS of his day, you need to repent. So you can see a little sliver of water right there. That's the Tigris River. And right in the middle of that picture is the Mosul Dam. Have you guys heard of the Mosul Dam? It's been in the news a little bit. Because, oh, of course you have, Chloe. But then over here is a little village called Al-Kosh. And Al-Kosh is in the Bible. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, the burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Al-Koshite. Nahum's from Al-Kosh, so he's an Al-Koshite. He says, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he will, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. This is another side of God. We don't get to see too much, but it does come out. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Look at verse 8. 
But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and the darkness shall pursue his enemies. Do you remember the tsunami that hit Japan? And the water that came over the wall and over the city was black. That was black water. God says darkness is going to pursue his enemies. The Mosul Dam was built on chalk. It's not a good thing to build dams on. There's 50 square miles of water backed up behind the dam. And the dam is sinking about a centimeter every year. So a couple months ago, Obama, President Obama, wrote Prime Minister Abadi of Iraq and said, you need to fix the dam once and for all, or it is going to break. The Iraqis would always say, well, you should have fixed it when you were here. The minister of water would get angry with the Americans and leave, because he doesn't like the Americans. Well, he just got fired, and Abadi got some guys on, on the job, so they say. My sources tell me that nobody's actually doing anything yet. If that dam breaks, like Nahum suggests, it's going to send 60 feet of water over a million and a half people. And then it's going to continue down. That's Mosul. Mosul's just 30 miles that way. And it would reach there in just minutes. There's no way they can get out. And then it's to Crete, the oil fields, the oil refineries, the army bases, and then Baghdad. It all gets washed away. Can you imagine that? There's over a million people still in Baghdad. So I'm like, God, what in the world? But Nahum has more to say. Verse 11, there is one come out against you that imagines evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. And the leader of ISIS is Abu Baker al-Baghdadi. And he lives in Mosul. We've, America's tried to kill him, and he's wounded, and he's in a lot of pain, but that's what we hear. But he's still hiding out, leading, leading ISIS. Look over at verse 15. This, I like to think this is me. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. Amen. And then finally... Verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. The gates of the rivers shall be opened and the palace shall be dissolved. Some translations say the floodgates, like on a dam. This was written 2,500 years ago. There was no dam on that river back then. But Nahum says the gates of the rivers shall be opened. Ooh, boy. So put that on the shelf and just watch what happens. We'll see. Because that dam is still in bad shape today. Amen. Well, thank you, Nahum. <laughs> so, so, you know, Jonah, God sent Jonah there to warn the people in Mosul. And I'm like, God, well, how could we today, in 2016, how could we warn the people of Mosul that the judgment of God is about to fall. Because, you know, a lot of us, we're like, yeah, get rid of them, wash them away. But God told Jonah, he's like, don't you know there's about 75,000 people that don't know the right hand from their left? I believe that means little children. I've got little kids here, and they don't know the right hand from their left. Little innocent ones. So maybe we should pray that those who still have a soft heart to hear will get out. 
and some are trying to get out. But ISIS is stopping people from escaping, and they're breaking their legs with cinder blocks if they catch them. But people are getting out, and you can't stop 500,000 people from walking out when it happens. And we've seen 60,000 people walk out of Syria at one time. It's like if you can imagine the highway, as far as you can see over the horizon, just shoulder to shoulder, it's all people just walking. One day they wake up and your food, there's no more food. There's no more fuel. There's no more jobs. Your money's no good. So you just have to walk and hope that somebody in the next country will receive you and be nice to you. And that's where these refugee camps that I showed you sprung up all, like almost overnight. But we've seen different waves come in. And then it was the Christians who came. But what we're anticipating now is the big attack on Mosul. The UN is saying it'll be the biggest catastrophe we've ever seen. But they're expecting at any moment, 500,000 people could walk out and there's no place for them to go. There's no refugee camp big enough and they just can't handle 500,000 people. But God's given me an idea, and I've been talking about this idea with the leadership in the refugee camps and the different foundations in the UN that run the camps. And when we get back to, in, to, to Iraq in November, we're going to go forward. Hopefully, we'll go forward with these ideas of building, helping these people build their own little houses, temporary structures, very cheaply using mud blocks, adobe blocks. And all the, that's all clay there. Iraq is all clay, and there's, you just need that and fiber. Mix it, dry it, build your house. I've found that 30% of the world still lives in a mud block house. I found helms in England and Yemen and in Africa that are 350 years old. God gave us this stuff to use, and it lasts when you take care of it properly, and it's free. Hallelujah. So, I just, I think the roof is going to be the, to put some little metal on the roof and some rafters, that's just going to be the most expensive part. So, amen. Let's keep going. So, this is Nahum's tomb. That's the front door to Nahum's tomb. The Jews were the caretakers for thousands of years. You see the Hebrew writing there on the wall? And there it is, the, the casket, whatever it is, underneath that, that, that green thing, the green silk sheet. Some of it's fallen in. They've got little, little pieces of cloth tied to the little wall there. Those maybe people were praying. 30,000 shoes from, from uh, Tom's shoes came in. This grandma blew up her refugee caravan with a gas leak, and we took it apart and put it back together for her. Our church and some teams, huge diesel generators for the camps. We were buying diesel for those. Thousands of liters of diesel. These American helicopters are flying over our house every day, taking the fight to ISIS. And this is the church, the house that we rent. It's our church, guest house, kitchen. And we put a roof on the roof to keep that harsh Iraqi sun off the tiles to keep the house cooler. It's a great place to hang out, pray, and let the kids play. New water tanks. Everything's gravity-fed. But it's kind of an underground church also because oh, there's Canon Andrew White, man of God, the vicar of Baghdad, some of my wife's friends. And this old Massey Fergan tractor was stolen by ISIS from a Christian, and he got it back after two years. 
It had bombs on it. <laughs> they had to take the bombs off. This is how we kind of survive those hot Iraqi summers, 120 degree days. They even had some days that were 130 degrees. I mean, stuff was melting. Some shawls that the refugees made for us to sell, and I brought back a bunch of these bracelets. If you'll pray for us, I'll give you a bracelet today. Here we are in Kurdistan, our six children. You can see Erbil is where we live, and Mosul is just right there, and the front line to ISIS is right in the middle. It's not very far away. So you can pause it there. Now, two years ago, these guys were coming, and our, every, all of our friends and a lot of our local friends that had passports, they left. It was total panic. I felt like we were supposed to stay. And it was, you really had to battle the fear. It was like Satan himself was walking around and this black tsunami of fear just rolled over the entire city. It was always in the back of your mind, what's going to happen today? Is ISIS going to be stopped? Because they had weapons far superior than the Kurds because they stole all of America's weapons from Mosul. So we stayed the new, the, the Christian refugees came, flooded out, 100,000 of them flooded out, and we were able to receive them and help them. And uh, when the airport reopened, three weeks later, we were able to get out for a breather for two months and come back. So that was two years ago. But I didn't put the pictures in there, but I also have pictures of ISIS, our soldiers and Kurdish soldiers loading up these guys in front end loaders, dead bodies, putting them in dump trucks, and carting them away. So the tide is now turning against ISIS. But it's going to be a big battle still to take Mosul back. And uh, so pray for those guys because the battle starts this month. And that also means cholera season starts this month because the rains start this month. A lot of big things are coming up this month. So amen. Was there anything else I forgot to say? We're going to open it up for questions and answers. You can ask any question you want. Politics, religion, life, family. We're recording this, so I need to be on the microphone with a question. So okay. Tell us who you are and then ask your question. I'm Lucy Pinson. I hope this isn't a stupid question, but why would you be on the watch list, Yeah. the FBI watch list, if you're over there fighting ISIS? Right. What? Why am I on the FBI watch list? It's not a stupid question. Yeah, good question. I think they're just an equal opportunity um, watcher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, they just want to meet me. Every time it's a different FBI agent. So I think then they take that stuff, put it in the computer, put it in my file somewhere. But it's a little bit annoying. I'm only having you introduced just for the tape's sake, so we all know mm -hmm. who you are. I'm Julie, and I was wondering, you said that you were going to go and do a second training, but yes. the American troops stopped you. Why? Mm -hmm. Why did they stop us? I don't know why exactly, but the, the general at the time would not give me permission, and he wouldn't give me a reason why, and they just kind of kept giving me the runaround until my team had to leave. And then all my veteran friends just had to leave. You know, you can't wait around week after week after week waiting for permission, and then it's too late. So I don't know why. I think it complicates things, maybe. 
You know, America wants to control the narrative of what's released to the press. And if we're there on the front lines taking pictures and showing what's happening, it, it also, they're also discouraging any other Americans that want to come and help fight. They're telling the Kurds, keep the Americans in the rear with the gear until they get bored and, and just leave on their own. They don't want them on the front lines. Um, our special forces don't want their pictures taken also. So there are a couple different reasons, but it helps. I wish they would allow it. Um, Brandon, uh, first of all, thank you yeah. uh, for your obedience and what you're doing. Um, Thanks, Brandon. It's awesome. How can we from here get involved and help? Yeah, how help can you get cost? involved here at Conduit Church? Well, you have already. You've helped us do everything that I've shown you. Um, but you can pray for us. Definitely pray for us. We've got the prayer cards to go on your refrigerator. Take one of these, put it on your refrigerator, and as the Spirit leads, gives you unction, just shoot those prayers up as the Lord leads. Um, so you can pray. And you're already giving. You've been very generous, and that's helped ease the suffering of the Christians and our other refugees. Also, we're, we need interns to come and help us. So we're growing. I can't do it all. Are you scared? Am I scared? No, I don't get scared. Um, but I fight fear with the word of God. That no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I am the head, not the tail. I am the ambassador of the Lord here for these people. So I just quote the word of God and I go forward. So, amen. You're helping me with my sermon from last week. Thank you. Amen. I'm Dolores. Um, I know you're ministering to the Muslims. Are you seeing many conversions? Are we seeing many conversions among the Muslims? No, we're not. But we're sowing the seed. We're giving out Bibles and books, and we're praying for the sick. And we've seen a few, but not a lot. So that's a top prayer need. <laughs> it is. Pray for these people. When we pray, they have dreams and visions at night of Jesus, but it takes somebody praying. It was, uh, who was it said? It seems that God has chosen to limit himself to our prayers. It was uh, John Wesley said that, the founder of the Methodist Church. And that's huge. If we don't pray, things don't happen. Ma'am. I'm Becca. On a day in and day out basis as a mama, do you homeschool? Are you training? How are you teaching your kids? Are you in the refugee camps? What are you doing Yes. She, she asked what I do. Well, I'm, I run it all. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. I make him look good. Can every mom say amen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do homeschool when it happens. And uh, thank God, you know, we have a lot of guests come through, and it's really kind of a cool culture. It's hospitality-based. So if anybody shows up, I mean, I whip out the tea, and everybody gets yeah. served fresh tea and hot, and, mm -hmm. and um, like, I'm Johnny on the spot. So hospitality and hosting, we host a lot of teams that come yeah. through, so I'm kind of busy with that. And we recently got the church ready, so we do church services yeah. Yeah. and teams, and I take care of him and them. And you know what? I, I wish you guys would pray for us, but then pray for God to send the right team. We are believing God for more staff who mm -hmm. are trained and ready and yeah. interns. And we're kind of developing an internship program. 
And you know, the thing is, Jesus is worthy. Yeah. And, and a lot of people say, how could you raise your babies in northern Iraq, 50 miles from the front line? And I think my question is, how can I not? My children see testimonies every day of God's faithfulness. Yeah. We have given, and he has done miracle after miracle, and they yeah. see it. And we're Amen. living this living testimony and miracle. Mm -hmm. And they're seeing God as a real God. And their faith is a living faith. Yes. And I, I am so honored to serve him. And I would love to address your young people for one minute. You know what your pastor shared here, and he said the squirrel thing? If Jesus is stirring your heart for missions and for the Middle East, I want to say he most certainly is. Like that lady said, you know, are any people getting safe? We're praying that they will. We are praying that a lot of people will come to know Jesus. And in the future years, there are going to be a lot of people needed to take care of these new lambs who want to know more about Jesus Christ. And so if you are interested in, in, in missions, I say just learn all you can about it and take mission trips as you can and do yes. what you can to learn more about the world and take classes and learn languages and, you know, see how Jesus will use you. It's most, it's the best thing in the world. When ISIS came and we stayed, you know, I learned in that moment I am willing to live for him and I am willing to die for him. And are you at that place, precious brother and precious sister? I don't know if you are or aren't, but that is the Jesus Christ that I serve. I am willing to die for him. I am yes, willing to amen. live for him because he is worthy. He gave his life for me, and I am willing to give my life for him. And we are training our children, too, that if ISIS came in and we, in one moment, where are we? We're in the throne of God. We're in heaven. Mm -hmm. there's nothing else. We, we close our eyes and we're with Jesus. And yeah. that is the Jesus we serve. And that is the Jesus we work with. And he has been good to us. And in the middle of all the kind of craziness of where we live, our life is sweet and we've got a pool. And a trampoline. And our life's kind of normal inside our house. So yeah. praise God. It's our oasis. Yeah, that's awesome. Amen. Well, we want to we want to pray for you guys. And we want to bless you. Um, Thanks. And uh, if you've been around here a while, you know that we tend to go long and we go deep with our relationships globally. And uh, we're just so grateful for you being that trustworthy conduit on the front lines for us to be a part of. And and uh, yeah, praying what that might look like with us taking teams uh, to come to you. Cool. Um, yeah. This is not like a one-off for us. This is a long-term thing. So would you all stand with me? And uh, would you guys come down to the front, just so we can get to yeah. you here. And if you're near here, would you just come around and just, let's just lay hands on the Pickett family. We want to pray for them and, and uh, cover them with, Amen. Thank you. cover them with prayer. And, uh, and if the Lord is putting it on your heart to, if the Lord has spoke to you this morning, yeah, I really want to do something and bless them this morning. If you write a check out to Conduit and just put Picket in the memo line, we'll give them 100% of that all in one check today as they leave. And on either side, there, uh, there's actually in the back, there's these little boxes with little slits in them. They look like little ballot boxes. You could put it in there. Just put Picket in the memo line and we'll bless them as they go. Uh, 
But that's not just from today. We're going to continue to bless and continue to fund what God has done from this side. So, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the, the, uh, the gift of faith that we've seen this morning. And let it empower us as well. Let it bolster us and be the model for us. Um, not just in the words that we've heard, but in the life that we've seen. Um, my prayer this morning is that it isn't, that doesn't bring guilt or shame to us, but it empowers uh, boldness and courage inside of us this morning. That you can take uh, normal and ordinary people and do extraordinarily uh, supernatural things through them. And as the Pickett family leaves today and heads, uh, heads for Tulsa, Lord, would you cover them with protection as they go? Uh, would you give the children um, peace? Uh, this crazy long journey they're on right now, this long road trip, God, would you, uh, would you give them peace on that trip? And thank you for your uh, angels that go before them, that go behind them and all around them, that there's no place better to be than living dangerously, safely in the hands of our Father. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will continue to do. Thank you for letting us play a small part in it. And uh, we pray that, uh, <laughs> that millions of, of people across the Middle East will see these visions and will come to repentance and turn their back on the, this brutal demonic religion that is called Islam. This lie from the pit of hell, this abnormality, that they would, their eyes would be opened supernaturally. We can't preach it into them, that the spirit would wake up from inside of them. Uh, and Lord, that the laborers would go. Uh, the, the prayer that you said to pray <laughs> 2,000 years ago, we continue to pray that you would send laborers for the harvest is ripe. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody.